census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Episode 291 of the Throwdown Thursday Podcast. My name is Patsy the Angry Nerd. I sound like something. I was going to say, you sound it's like... It's like a it, Muppet. I was going to say, like, I was unaware that Grover was hosting Grover. this fucking episode. Hi, everybody! It's Super Grover. Uh, it's mediocre Grover. <laughs> mediocre Grover. It's mediocre Grover! <laughs> Still giving yourself a little too much credit there. Welcome to episode 291 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I am your hostess with the mostess, Ashes Von Nightmare, and we are broadcasting to you live from our house, Magenta Manor in the Pat Cave. We are brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Once you go deadly, you have a very difficult decision as to whether or not you want to go back. And I highly doubt that you will. Uh, and we are part of the Dorkening Network, a fantastic ne- network with a plethora of fantastic shows. A fantastic meth work? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm, clearly, I'm like on that. a lot of meth work right now. Uh, and I am not alone because it would be really weird if I was. Uh, I am joined by my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. He is the mistress of Merlin. <laughs> The Mister oh of Merlot. The Mister, the Mister of Merlot. The um. Oh, who's that? That runner-up guy. Ryan Lochte. Ryan, the of Ryan Lochte. The Ryan Lochte. Lambruso. <laughs> It's Patsy the Angry Nerd. I thought you were going to keep going. I mean, I could, but how, how long? How long do we really have? The... Yeah, the Archduke of the Monsters. The Sultan of Sangria. The Viceroy of... Vino. Vignoles. Oh, Vignoles. That's, yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah, that's good. That that's good. Uh, but yeah, here I am. Uh, rock you like a Herman Cain. Uh, no, that's not the lyric. Uh, but yeah, we're uh, here in Magenta Manor. This was like thrown way off and... I told her she was going to host, and she totally forgot about it. And then she's like, yeah, I can host. You'll have to deal with me, though. I'm like, yeah, I've been dealing with you for almost 13 years. so You don't have to. You get to. Yeah, trying to throw my own words back at you me. You get to. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Lucky. You're so lucky. No, you um, are lucky. <laughs> You're lucky. He's lucky. I'm lucky. We're all lucky. And you're lucky too because uh, we have a fantastic. This has been a very highly entertaining episode thus far. Thank you very much. I blame the wine. Energetic, I'll give you that. I don't know where this burst of energy came from. Uh, The mic turned on, and so did I. 
That sounds weird. Um, anyways, we have speaking speaking of cringe, we have a very cringy episode for you today. Um, we're talking about Mei Lin Lee, the kaiju panda from t- Disney's Pixar's Turning Red, um, which led us to our getting into character question for today. Um, or should I say, which inspired our getting into character question for today, which was, if you could see any fictional band or musical act in concert, who would you choose? Because as if, if you see, if, if you have seen the film, you know that the girls are obsessed with this band for town and trust and believe we are going to talk about that because holy shit is that a bop but you uh might but hear th- some of that <laughs> no you will you will hear some of that and i will try my hardest not to sing but i cannot make any promises um but anyways we posted that question online for you kids and we did get some answers so uh our buddy first time mike said oh that's a hard one Gem and the Holograms, yes, Sir Gem and the Holograms, or Ellen Aim and the Attack from Streets of Fire. Not to be confused with uh, Hearts on Fire. <laughs> Hearts on Fire. Uh, our good friend Colleen, the fabulous Colleen, also said Gem and the Holograms, and she also included Mystic Spiral from Daria. Uh, that's a really fabulous choice, by the way. Um, I would not have even thought of that. And our good friend, Sir Ian, if I can find it. Hold on, scrolling up. Your boy, wonderful. No. Oh. Oh, not Ian Isaac, sorry. Jesus. This is what, okay. Side note, we're recording this late because a certain somebody has a really ridiculous schedule. And I am tired and it's not just I that I have a ridiculous tired. schedule. Even when I'm done, it's another hour and a half before I'm home. I am tired. Uh, Sir Isaac. Sir Isaac. The evil villain Sir Isaac said, I would go see Spinal Tap for their great songs, their unmatched punctuality, and the chance to see a drummer die. I, uh, I also hear their amps go up to 11. Now, we had this conversation in the car the other day. And I said, I don't know if I could choose Spinal Tap because they've, they're real people. And they have crossed genres. They have appeared on uh, various shows, including The Simpsons, where they said, Good night, Springton. There will be no encore. And it's funny because Harry Shearer, who is part of Spinal Tap, has also been a part of The Simpsons since day one. He's... Smithers and Flanders and Dr. Hibbert and so on and so forth. Um, so that's, I mean, that's not a bad list. I, I like that. Um, I just consider them to be more real. Like, haven't they actually done concerts? Um, I don't know if they've, uh, they've performed together. I don't know if they've actually done shows. Um, I mean, like, I'm sure they've done spots on, like, Conan O'Brien and, and, like, some of the late-night shows over the years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, like, they've put out albums, too. Yeah, so, I mean, they, they're they more of a—they're the most realistic, fictitious band. So, 
but it still counts and I like that uh, that answer. Well, you know, f- funny story. So Jamie Lee Curtis is married to Christopher Guest, and she saw a picture of her husband on the cover of some magazine dressed as his Spinal Tap care. It was it was the Spinal Tap band, you know, on I don't know if it was Rolling Stone or something. And she apparently looked at it and said, "Oh, I'm going to marry that man." And then she did. So good for you, Jamie Lee, for that manifestation. There you go. So I will, uh, do you want to just do all of our answers? Because I have have four. You have four. Okay. Well, you know, why don't you go first? Who are your four? All right. And then, so so I, I, and I will, I will choose different ones. One of my favorite ones, (laughs) because this, this actually is a really, really good song that they do. Uh, I am a huge fan of Boys, boys for, for Now. now. <laughs> boys for the present time. Because Yeah, not Boys for the present time, because I'm not a huge fan of the Heine Liney. But uh, what the hell's the name of this song? The Halloween song? I don't remember. I don't... Halloween has become so commercialized. So, so many, many commercials. commercials. Yeah, the, of course, this band from uh, uh, Bob's I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I, I know the lyrics, but I don't know. The, the Halloween song. Yeah, I'm going to have to look up what it is. Oh, well, why don't you... Could, I will look it up. Why don't you continue talking? All right, so the next band, although they really only put on one one real show because they performed at their school but the second show uh ended in catastrophe and uh depending on your viewpoint it's called i love you so much in parentheses it's scary that makes sense uh the second show ended with uh a legitimate terrorist attack i'm talking of course about the party posse Bart Milhouse, Ralph, <laughs> and uh, Nelson. Can't believe I get to meet Milhouse. Uh, I can't believe I'm meeting Milhouse. Nobody pouts going into a jiggy. Yeah, that's stupid. I want to twirl. I'm a pop sensation. Uh, sticking in that vein, uh, I would also like to see Homer's Barbershop Quartet, the B-Sharps. Um that, I thought we was quiet riot. The, the drum says rat. You got a you got poison to play our wedding reception? No, we're cyanide, a loving tribute to poison. Uh but yeah, uh that of course being Homer, Apu, uh Barney, and Principal Skinner. Uh and the last one, I think these guys would put on a really good show. And I don't think this is one that you're even expecting me to say, but uh, I think they just do covers. I don't think they've done an original song. Well, maybe, um, but their covers are pretty good. That's what got them their record deal. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about Cassandra and Crucial Taunt. So, yeah, their uh, rendition of Ballroom Blitz is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are the those are the four I'm going with. How about you? And I think I know one that you're gonna go with. Um Are they excellent to everyone? Oh oh I didn't even think of that. I didn't pick the wild stallions because oh, I thought wow. you would wild pick stallions. Them. I mean well I mean so there's uh I'm there surprised are, Coop didn't there say are wild stallions. several really 
good fictional bands. Um, well, I mean, like obviously Wild Stallions, they played for Hell, mm-hmm. which is which is pretty commendable. Um, obviously, I have to say Gem and the Holograms, they're truly outrageous, truly, truly outrageous. Um, uh, Doctor Teeth and Electric Mayhem. That's a good. That's one Coop would say. And uh, the uh, the River Bottom Nightmare Band. I don't know that one. You've never seen Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas? Nope. What? Hold on! Hold hold on! Hold on! Hold on! Hold on! Hold on! <clears throat> we talk about this every single year. Um, <clears throat> you have never seen Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas? Yes, that you is You have no idea who the Riverbottom Nightmare Band is. I know are. who the Soggy Bottom Boys are. That's a that's a that's a good go to one see. too. Yeah, I thought they were the same guys. <sighs> wow! Wow! You ask me that every year, and every year I tell you I've never seen it. Wow. Um, wow. Uh, another really good one is uh, Death Clock. Oh, okay. The uh, Metalocalypse guys. Yeah, I never really watched that show. Uh, really f- fun, funny show. Um, which, I mean, I think, they, I think they did kind of perform. I think they did do some some sort of, like, like concert or something. But, like, the, they're animated. So, I yeah, it's eh. Um... I'm still going to so say that. So are the them. gorillas. Yeah, gorillas, yeah. But they're real. That's CeeLo Green. It is not. Isn't, that, isn't he one of them? No. CeeLo sure? Green is not in gorillas. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Mm. Oh, a... no, no. He, Gnarls <laughs> Barkley. It was a G. And oh, a wow. Okay. Um, But... I, I think my final choice is going to have to be so in the late nineties, early two thousands, probably more towards the early two thousands, um, back when like TRL was a big thing, MTV put together a fake band, kind of like one of those in the vein of Spinal Tap and whatnot, to kind of mock the uh, boy band craze that was happening at the time and they created this boy band called together and they there was a, i believe there was a, a, te- a short-lived television series there was definitely a movie and i believe the movie came first and then it was the tv series um and obviously they released music and had music videos and and, and whatnot i don't know if they ever toured though um but they were they i mean they were good. Like it was ridiculous how fun and funny and fantastic these songs were. Like, um, I know my calculus. It says you plus me equals us. That's dumb. I've never been good at history and I don't give a crap about Robert E. Lee. When it comes to cosines, I know a thing or two. I hope there's something on the test about me and you. I know my calculus. He says you plus me equals us. Clearly, you don't know anything about calculus if you're talking about Robert E. Lee. Because he was talking about history. Right, which is not calculus. No, but you see, I don't know history, but I know calculus. No. It says you you plus me equals us. That's barely algebra. And then they had a breakup song called The Hardest Part of Breaking Up is Getting Back Your Stuff. Mm hmm. 
Where's my sweater? My hat. I can't find my cat. I don't know. The any hardest of part of breaking up is getting back your stuff. Nope. Nope. Zero. You don't know what you're missing. You don't. You have, you have no idea. You are missing out. When we stop recording, I am playing you some River Bottom Nightmare Band, and then we are watching together videos because you need to be educated. Uh, so anyways, those are some of our picks. And I mean, we didn't even touch the surface. There are so many. I, Josie and the Pussycast. Um, the Hex Girls from Scooby-Doo. Um, that band uh, with Jabberjaw. The, the Jabberjaw was in a band? Mm-hmm. Of course he was. He played drums. Sure he was. Um, oh, the, the, the band that... Pink Slip, the band with Lindsay Lohan from Freaky Friday. What? What's this face for? The fucking chipmunks. Oh my god. <laughs> Alvin, Simon, and Theodore. Melvin and the squirrels. <laughs> like, how did we not say the chipmunks? Like, that was probably like one of the first bands I saw, aside from, you know, Electric Mayhem. How about... How the about... Wiggles! No. Well, I mean, they technically do tour, though. How about... Hot potato, hot potato. I don't know what that cold is. Cold spaghetti, cold spaghetti. How about, uh, I was going to say uh, Raffy, but he's He's, he's a real, real guy. But uh, Rolf, on a piano tour, opening for Elton yeah, John. Yeah, but, like, but he's, isn't he part of Electric Mayhem? He is, but he had a solo career. Why, w- why wouldn't he? He'd open up for Elton John or Billy Joel. Just all piano all the time. What? I would also, uh, if I could remember who's in it, the uh, fake band called the Tattered Remnants from uh, It with like, I think it was like Bob Dylan and and, uh, what's his name from the Beatles? The guy that did the stuff. Paul McCartney? No. John Lennon. John Lennon. Yeah, that guy. Um, But those are real people. Right, but it was a fake band um, that Stephen King put together in in It. It was a vision that uh, he made um, Richie Tozier see. And it was like all these different, it was like the All Dead Review or something. It was like the Big Bopper and, and John Lennon and Jimi Hendrix. and. Well, if it was all dead people, Dylan wouldn't have been in it. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm trying to remember. It's, it's been forever. He's still alive. I just remembered that, uh, um, what's his name, was on guitar, John Lennon. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure we're missing hundreds and hundreds. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a plethora, abundance of other ones. So if you didn't have a chance to chime in on the socials and you'd like to, definitely hit us up, find the post, let us know. Or yeah. you can email your choices to us at throwdownthursdaypodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. What are some of your favorite, or I should say, if you had the chance to see any fictional band or musical acts live in concert who would you choose let us know all right so we will be right back and we'll be discussing uh one of the most intriguing new characters from the disney uh pantheon 
Um, Pandatheon? Pandatheon. Pandatheon. So we'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. connection with red pandas. Are you kidding me? This little quirk brought us in our family. Oh. You are so cute. Sick. I've always wanted a tail. I'm a freak. We love you, May. You're our girl. <sighs> Whoa. You're you. Any strong emotion yes! will release the panda. Abby, hit me. Do you know how dangerous this is? You'll get whipped up into a frenzy and panda all over. OMG! My whole life I've been perfect little May May. But maybe I like this new me. <laughs> Mama's girls. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> And we are back. Thanks for sticking around. That so, was, of course, the trailer for what we're talking about today. Yeah. Yes, it was. I was just going to say that. Were you? I did. Sure, I was. Yeah. You can't prove me wrong. You don't know. Yes, I can. You don't know me. I do. Uh, but anyways, yes, that that indeed was the trailer for what we are conversing about today. Uh, we were talking about Maylin Lee from Turning Red, a movie that uh, was released by Disney Pixar earlier this year and has been met with 
quite the controversy, really. Uh, and we're going to get into that. But first, Patsy. Yes. What did you think of this film overall? I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, when I first heard of it, I thought it was a ripoff of The Hulk. <laughs> well, before we uh, get into that, for those who may not know, let's bring up a brief synopsis came of out March this. 11th, by the way. Yeah, like I said, er, that, and that was earlier this year. Yeah, I'm just being... It came right to uh, Disney, I believe. I think it. I think it may have had a very limited theater release, but well, it, we, it didn't we have the. It on yeah, it didn't have the big theatrical le- release that AI. I really think it should have had, but. Uh, um, so the synopsis is: Malin Lee is a confident, dorky, thirteen-year-old torn between staying her mother's dutiful daughter and the chaos of adolescence. Her protective, if not slightly overbearing mother, Ming, who is voiced by Sandra Oh, who is fantastic, is never far from her daughter, an unfortunate reality for the teenager. And as if changes to her interests, relationships, and body weren't enough, whenever she gets too excited, which is practically always, she poofs into a giant red panda. Yeah, which is why, you know, I I was like, oh, this is interesting, like... You know, emotional uh, emotional distress turns this girl into a, a giant hulking monster, which is why I thought, wow, that's just like the Hulk. Uh, but it's very, very different, uh, especially when you start to think of the age of the young girl and... The name of the movie, and we get, I'm sure you'll go into this, because you're more uh, knowledgeable about this than I am. Uh, You've also seen the movie 163 times. Just five. Um, But uh, I really liked it. It was a lot of fun. Um, There was... Disney Pixar has put every movie that they put out is essentially the same thing over and over. It's got a very similar story structure but somehow still always manages to create compelling characters that really uh, get you invested in who they are, regardless of, you know, whether it's the, the dude from Soul or, you know, the 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 emotions from... Uh, um, Inside Out. Inside Out. I was trying to think of what the hell it was called. I couldn't remember it. You know, you know, like... They're, it's almost like their company runs on emotion. Like, they're psychic vampires like Colin Colin Robinson. And they run on, you know, big swings in emotion. Kind of like uh, how Disney used to go for laughs and stuff, and now they just want your tears. You know, kind of like a Monsters, Inc. type switch where they went, they used to want your screams, but they found out that laughter is much more profitable. Same thing with Disney. It's like if they can harness your your tears. It's like Cartman at the end of when he feeds the, the parents to Scott Tennerman and he's like licking up the, the kids' tears. That's Disney Pixar. Uh, they want you to cry multiple times during these movies. I mean, why else would they do what they did to Bing Bong? 
How dare you bring up Bing Bong in this episode? Right? We haven't seen that movie in years, and the first thing you're just like, oh. Bing Bong. Yeah. Bing Bong. To prove my point, exactly. And if you're listening to this and you've seen Inside Out, you're thinking the same thing. It's not enough to kill Bambi's mom. It's not enough to kill everybody's parents at the beginning of movies, which this is weird. Not only was uh, May's parents, not only were they alive, their parents were alive. So weird for a Disney movie that you have multiple generations. Although this did take place in Canada, so that might have had something to do with it. I don't know what. <laughs> but I mean, They're think just, about uh, so much nicer up there. Eh? Think about all of like uh, Tarzan. Parents are gone. Frozen. Parents are gone. Uh, Little Mermaid. You're missing a parent. Bambi. Missing a parent. Uh, the whole. The whole premise of uh, Onward, you know, they had 75% of their parents for most of that movie. You know, that, that, was, that was the whole point. Like, if you're a parent in a Disney movie, watch the fuck out. Um, but yes, long story short, I enjoyed this movie. It, was, uh, it definitely had some good, fun, emotional swings. I was not the target audience. I was actually talking to someone today that I work with uh, on on the, the movie that I'm currently uh, working on, and he said he's tried to watch it multiple times, and each time uh, he just c- couldn't get into it, and the first time he tried watching it, he got distracted by his phone, so he missed like the, the beginning, and uh, his friends don't believe in rewinding, so they wouldn't go back and rewatch that part, and I was like, "Didn't that some weird. franchise like make a whole thing about be kind rewind?" Uh, and there's a well, this is the same kid who said, "Yeah, I couldn't really get into the thing because like it was dumb." Oh, so, oh, oh, that kid. Yeah, uh, his opinions are null and void. His, yeah, I don't. <laughs> He's like, I can't get into 80s because I'm too spoiled by CGI, so I can't get into 80s movies. And it's like, oh, my God. He's also, like, two decades younger than I am, so it kind of makes me sad. But uh, I will give him this, though. He does collect physical media, uh, and he blind buys a lot of stuff. But he'll only, he, he only wants to watch a movie once. He won't watch it more than once. Which is weird because there's so many more movies and you could see other. It's like, yeah, but you got to have your comfort food that you go back to every now and then. Well, apparently I've seen this film, what, 163 times? 163 times. Yeah. So, so um, I love this movie. I've, I've seen it five times. Uh, so not far off from 163. I recently rewatched it, just kind of doing a little bit of research for the podcast. But I mean, I will really look for any excuse to watch it. It's kind of it's kind of becoming a, a comfort food, so to speak. Um, I'm not necessarily the target audience 
that this movie is was made for what it's made at. But ho- however, once upon a time, I was the target audience for this film, which is why I appreciate this so much. I love the fact that it's set in 2002. That's the that's the time frame. Um, I also was a young teenager in the early 2000s obsessed with boy bands and other things and super super cringy and i know some of the um some of the 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 negative feedback that this film was getting was from parents saying well you know this my child can't relate to this you know nobody can who's who is this movie for nobody can relate to this and you know whatnot and it's like excuse me excuse me were you not a cringy teenager at one point you know the scene where little miss maylee is under her bed drawing pictures of boys like just seemingly innocent pictures that she thinks are just so dirty and crass and you know really risque uh you know making all of these faces and stuff you know who hasn't done that i mean granted i didn't hide under my bed to do it but i i've i have done some pretty weird erotic friend fiction (laughs) yes erotic friend fiction uh cringy stuff and i think that's one of the things that makes this character so endearing her and her friends uh so let's get into dissecting the character of maylin lee so she is 13 years old she lives in toronto canada she is in middle school she loves math she plays the flute she is your typical I don't want to say hyperactive, but definitely hyper focused, overachiever, people pleaser, uh, loves her friends, has a great, fantastic core group of friends. Um, and, and, and that's one of the other things that I love about this movie is the fact that um, it really shows the importance of friendships during this period of time when, you know, uh, you're you're changing your body is changing your home hormones are are changing you're emotional and you don't know why that's why i think that the the metaphor of her turning into a big giant red panda is so perfect the real giant panda monster was the friend we made along the way (laughs) friends we made along the way um and she's, when we're first introduced to her, she's kind of fighting this inner battle, um, wanting to express herself and be with her friends, wanting to please her parents and follow in the footsteps that they've laid out for her and trying to figure out exactly where she falls in between the two. She can freely express herself with her, with her peers, with her friends. Um, You know, they allow her to be exactly who she is. Whereas her parents, and I'm not gonna say her parent, her mother, it's more so the maternal influence than the paternal influence. Um, you do get a little tidbits from, from dad where he's just, dad just wants her to be happy. 
Um, mom is really the the driving force behind the influence and the pressure that she feels. And she one day wakes up a giant red panda and come to find out. So, I mean, we obviously know that this whole thing is a metaphor for, for, for puberty and, you know, your hormones going crazy and feeling like you are this big, giant, gross, sweaty, hairy beast who cannot control your emotions. Yeah, because one of the first things she does is sniff under her armpits. Yeah. Uh, but like this... if you remember being a teenager and going through that, I mean, one day I didn't have leg hair and then it's almost like I woke up and it was just there and you become really like aware of it. And it's like, oh, my God, what is that? And then you have to start wearing deodorant and then you have to, you know, as yeah, your body. When are you going to? You know what? It's my body, my choice. OK, oh, my panda, my choice. I will say this is the. As far as I am aware, and I won't say that I'm an expert, but I'm fairly certain this is the first Disney Pixar film uh, with tampons. Well, not just tampons, pads, and all like like uh, heavy and light and scented and unscented, which we now know scented is not the way to go. But anyways, during that time, we did not know. Um, yeah, it's a it's a metaphor for you know girls developing their period which is the thing that happens and not just girls have periods a lot of people have periods and you know there are two different types of bodies people who have periods and people who don't and i think it's important for everyone to be educated on all the different body types that are out there because and the functionalities will, and whatnot because you will see certain people especially those in the lawmaking community who do not understand the basic function. It's like, oh, you have your period? Well, can't you just hold it? It's like, no, that's not how that works. It's like, oh, well, can't you just do this? No, that's not how that works. And again, I'm not an expert. Having never gone through it, I defer to you when it comes to this. But, uh, you know, I at least have some understanding as to you know, the monthly refreshing of the uterine walls and what it entails and why it's a, a vital function of a uh, a, 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 a person's uh, reproductive life and what, you know, the, the biological purpose of it is. Um, however, again, not an expert, I would never be like, Oh well, this is what I think you should do about it. I let you do whatever you need to do. I just stand back and occasionally get you chocolate and wine, and everything else. That's all you. You take care of it. You need me to pick you something up at the store? I got you. But the rest of it, it's all you. Let me know what you need. Cause I don't know what you're experiencing having never experienced it myself. So, while I am not the target audience of this film, I can still enjoy it because I did once go through puberty, so I get it. And you are stinky. Well, you know, that's that's man musk. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that is. That's 
We're, although today I was out on the docks, and I may smell like fish. Yeah, you little, you little fishy. Scallops. Little fishy. Scallops. But <laughs> it was with scallop fishermen out in New Bedford. Listen, Marty, we can't get rid of the sharks because the sharks are the ones who keep the seals from eating into our profits. Our profits being the fish. Your problem is you spend way too much time with Darlene, and she's got your head all messed up. You can't remove a predator from a food chain. Otherwise, the prey population will explode, and that's when our profits hit a low. That was some improv right there. I uh, just want you guys to know that's how I affect a uh, uh, a seafaring fisherman accent. In case you were wondering, hire me acting people. Great. Great. <laughs> uh, so anyways, you know, as if little Miss Malin Lee does not have it tough enough, you know, um, going through puberty, being awkward, uh dealing with what she's dealing with come to find out her family has this uh this is interesting thing about them so she helps her parents out her mother runs the family temple and the temple honors their ancestors one ancestor in particular sun lee and the story, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here, is that suddenly was up against some really tough times. She was up against uh, some people who wanted to do bad things. And in order to protect her family, she called upon the strength and the spirit of the red panda. And she became one herself. She turned into a red panda and was able to save her family and um thus uh, it became this whole generational thing it's something that was passed on to her children and passed on to their children and so on and so forth the women in this family have the uh, after after a certain age and we're not exactly sure what that age is but for for may it is 13 um have this ability when they become so overcome with emotions excited what have you they turn into a giant red panda and this is something that uh may didn't realize until she turned into one she knew that her family uh worshipped the red panda because the red panda blot brought many blessings to their family and whatnot. And, you know, she was told the story, but, you know, like many stories, it just seemed like folklore. You know, it didn't really happen in that way. It's just the way that it's been told, you know, over, over right. the Right, an oral history that's passed down and, like, the actual right. details have changed as, as it's been told. Right, but come to find out, it's it's real and you turn into a panda. So she turns into a panda. My daughter is a panda. <laughs> and, 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 and kaiju pandemonium all breaks loose. Yeah, it was a pandemic. <laughs> pandemonium was just too easy sorry okay well i thought it was being funny so whatever yeah you, you thought so you just eat your gummy bears okay no, here's a little red one for I you i don't want that oh the little, it's a little 
little. Yeah, oh my little god, tiny. these are like the littlest gummy bears I've ever it's seen like in my life. Bear, but, oh, and um, they're like little babies. Um, something that you know we talked about in our beginning segment. Um, breaking news as of seven hours ago. Uh, this is Spinal Tap sequel in the works with Rob Reiner, Michael McKeon, Christopher Guest, and Harry Shearer. It will come out in 2024, the 40th anniversary of This Is Spinal Tap. You know, I'm so here for it. That I'm is a movie you tour. have seen because it I is. made you watch it. Mm-hmm. So back to... Back Anyways. To um, and I think she handled it about as well as you possibly could handle it. And the fantastic thing is that... Um, so most of the women in their family, or pretty much all of the women in their family, minus Sun Lee, um, got rid of their panda. There's this whole ritual that happens during a blood moon that... Uh... Subtle. <laughs> Very subtle. Um I think I said that when we were watching can, it too. You know, they, 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 can, they have to go through this whole thing and they can get rid of their panda. And that is what the other women, um, you know, in, in the family have done. And May kind of embraces the panda because it allows her to feel herself. And I think it helps that her friends immediately embrace it. I just... You know, while we're talking about this, um, one of the most surprising things was that her parents knew about the whole panda thing, but never mentioned it to her, which I, as I'm thinking about this, as you're talking about it, kind of makes me think of it as like a metaphor for a lack of sex education. Wow. Yeah. Or just, yeah, lack of, of... body education to begin with because a lot of health classes I can recall in school um, there was a note I'm trying to remember correctly there was like a permission slip sent out to like we had to bring home to our parents to sign off on for you know, to, to learn more about the human body and ultimately, you know, sex, sex education and stuff like that. And a lot of parents were against it. Like they didn't. So like some people had to be segregated, you know, put in another classroom or something, you know, during health class um, because their 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 parents didn't want them learning about these things. And it's like, well, then how are they going to learn? Are you, are you going to tell them? Surprise! That's how you'll learn. You know, there are so many schools that want to teach abstinence as the only, like... The only sex education? Yes, yeah. However, in those instances, teen pregnancy is... The, that's where teen pregnancy is the highest. Right, because they don't know. Like because, there are, because overall, there's a lack of education. And there are questions that will be asked. And I remember distinctly my sixth grade uh, sex education class um, where everyone could ask anonymous questions, although a couple of people raised their hand and had questions. And this one girl... 
uh, raised her hand and said, if you don't get your period by the time you're whatever her age was, does that mean you're crazy? And this was a legitimate concern that this young lady had. And it's like, why would you think that? And the reason is there was never any explanation given. There was never, uh, or maybe she put two and two together, like, oh, you know, this this member of the family was crazy. And, you know, oh, well, that's because, you know, this happened. It's like maybe they just kind of conflated those two things and just assumed that that's what that meant. And maybe she hadn't yet, you know, had her period, you know, and it's like, I haven't had it yet. This member of my family didn't have it, and they turned out, you know, to be crazy or or bad or whatever. Am I going to be that way? Or maybe it was just something she heard from other kids. Right. Like, oh, you haven't gotten it yet? Oh, that must be because you do this. Because, like, you know, I mean, once upon a time, the internet wasn't a thing. Or it was a was thing, but it wasn't, I would say, it was a thing, but it wasn't as readily available as it is right now. You have a question, you can Google it. You know, once upon a time, Google wasn't a thing. So you really had to learn pretty much everything from school. To be completely honest, speaking of periods, most of what I've learned, I've learned by having one that's it you know what i mean like i i didn't really learn much in school you know it's it's which is criminal it's really criminal but anyways um i really like the symbolism in this the symbolism of what the what the red panda is and you know um I remember being a teenager and even even now you know sometimes when you know my hormones get a little like out of whack. I feel crazy. I feel emotional, you know, and that's kind of when the red panda comes into play. You know, May is kind of learning to uh, grow and adapt to her new body. And, you know, uh, she's able to control the panda. And it's like she's able to kind of control those emotions a little bit and, and control, you know, not necessarily control the hormones, but control the way the hormones are making her feel. Right. And, you know, she's able to find different uh, soothing mechanisms, different calming mechanisms, different ways of dealing with the stress, especially when her parents or her mother intentionally try to evoke an emotional response from them, which... You know, when you're a kid, your parents trying to evoke an emotional response by purposely triggering, you know, whatever angers or fears that you might have just so they can be like, see, you're not mature enough. It's like, no, you're not mature enough because you're pushing my buttons and you're five times my age, you know. But when it comes to, say, uh, you know, trying to trigger emotional responses i wish at some point my parents had given me a box of kittens and told me to control myself because <laughs> i wish someone would do that now i'm like, just gonna say where, where's my kittens i'll take a box of kittens a box of kittens um that's the biggest uh cliffhanger and and like you know dangling plot thread of this entire movie is what happened to that box of kittens go? my theory is <laughs> She ate them while turning into the panda. No! <laughs> she did not eat the kittens. Where are they? I'm going to have to Yahoogle it. 
Where did the kittens go? On her journey uh, to self-acceptance, big players are her friends. And initially, you know, when she turns into this panda creature, she is so distraught and uh, really devastated and, and not knowing what's going on and thinking that her life is over. And then her friends f accidentally see her. Not really. Well, yeah, kind of. Uh, she didn't mean for them to see her, but, but they see her. And it's immediate acceptance immediate acceptance they really question why or how or it was just the fact that oh my god you're so fluffy okay so according to cinema cats celebrating cats in movies and television uh these kittens belonged to two of the cats from the temple and there is a scene where we see uh the cats are sleeping on the steps with one of the kittens between them. And as heavy footsteps approach from outside, the cats leap up with mama grabbing the kitten by the scruff and they run away. So they live in the temple. But they only showed one. She ate the other four. Or we just didn't get to see them. We just, she did not eat the kittens. I'm just saying, maybe she gave one each to her friends. I like that story. Maybe she did that. And then ate her friends and took their kittens. Then no. <laughs> no. Let's rob the bank, give the money to the poor, then rob the poor and shoot the money. You were saying. Yes, I was. Stop sidetracking me with kittens. But it wasn't until her friends accepted her that she felt that she could really start to express herself. And that kind of leads her onto this path of, you know, self-acceptance and then the quarrel between wanting to still be that perfect student, that perfect daughter for her parents and being someone who she can live with. Being the person who she wants to be, expressing herself, you know, liking boys and liking loud music and gyrating, you know, um, all of these, these weird, cringy things that young teenagers like, but it's just, it's an important part of, of them figuring out who they are and kind of setting them on this path of, of self-discovery. And she was a little stunted by this, you know, uh, by the fact that her mother was so overbearing. And there's a reason behind this, I feel. Um, her mother, and I, I think this is kind of a, a, a common story. Um, her mother didn't want her to be like her like she was when she was younger. So I was told once that you always want your children to be better than who you are. You try to give them a better life than you had. You try to mold them into better people than the person that you yourself came out to be. That's what I've been told. I don't know for sure. I have cats. Um, and I, I, I do try to mold my cats, but, you know, 
they do what they want. Well, I also think like her personality was so outgoing and like well, she was she, kind of two different people. Well, she had spent her her life cultivating a specific personality that would please herself while allowing herself to be true to what she wants. Like she enjoyed doing the things that she was doing despite the fact that her parents were kind of or her mother was kind of, you know, forcing that onto her and you know, she was able to, you know, uh ingratiate herself into her friends group because of who she was and how she she was very confident in who she uh was turning into, even though she didn't know exactly where that was going to lead her. And then when she changed so drastically, we get to see this fragile, you know, teenage um you know, psyche like Oh my God! Now I look complete. I'm still the same person on the inside, but I look completely different outwardly. I have this huge, uh, massive physical change. Will my friends still like me? That's what she was more worried about. But she was big and fuzzy, so everybody liked her. Well, and that's the thing. Not only did her friends accept her, but everyone accepted her. Everyone loved her. They wanted to be around her, and. She gained more confident with this, and it was through the panda who she felt that she could actually be who she was. And that's ultimately why she decided to kind of put the kibosh on the uh, ritual that was happening around her when the her grandmother and the aunt show up to facilitate the ritual and uh, for, for her to let go of her panda like the generations before her you know but she decided that she wanted to keep it she liked how the panda made her feel she liked the acceptance that she felt she felt free and she could control it in a way that the others couldn't especially her mother i think it's because she was of a much different generation uh and again this leads me to you know, um, not that I want to ascribe these characteristics to a child, but we live in a much more sex-positive uh, society now than, say, our parents' generation or the generation before or the generation before. Um, things that were like... <gasps> Oh, you can't talk about that. Now are freely discussed and, um, you know, people compare notes on. But, you know, and I think that, you know, similar to the, the whole, like, sex education thing I was talking about earlier, uh, obviously this isn't something that, uh, again, I'm trying not to sound weird or creepy about this because this is about a young girl, but she is looking at this change as what can what advantages can I take from this as opposed to it's a curse it's terrible like because of certain societal like that's I keep wanting to say stipulations, but that's not the word, but certain societal norms that were imposed upon women 
for the longest time. It's a stigma. Like sex is bad. Yeah, you, know, it's, you, you can't it's be a generational, slut. It's, you know, it's like, ge- generational stigma. It's similar to the plot of Encanto, uh, breaking generational curses, and um, the what what the generations before me, you know, my ancestors, what they did does not necessarily need to dictate who I am and how I live. Um, I do not need to carry the burden of my family with me wherever I go. Uh, their guilt is not mine. You know, kind of breaking free from that a little bit. And I think that this character does that beautifully in the symbolism of the red panda. You know, we see her go through the ritual and especially at the end, you know, when everyone has to go through the ritual again because, you know, her her mother because her, her mother gets in touch with her panda again becomes the panda and then we see why her mother is so against the panda her mother's panda is ridiculous it's ginormous it's larger than godzilla it's you know it truly is a kaiju panda and it's scary and you know her mother's panda you know hurt May's grandmother, Ming's, you know, Ming, Ming is May's mother. Um, Ming, as a panda, hurt her mother, May's grandmother. Um, you know, and that is uh, that is a burden that she carries with her. You know, the fact that she hurt her mother, and her mother doesn't think of it that way. You know, it was just you know her daughter dealing with what her daughter needed to deal with. You know, and then there, there, there was no love lost there, even though Ming feels that. And I think that's what she is projecting onto May and why she's so adamant about her getting rid of the panda. Not just because everyone else has gotten rid of the panda, but because her panda was so traumatic and chaotic. Right. Because she was of that generation, like the 80s. You know, uh, you know, coming into her own sexuality in the '80s, where like things really started to open up. It wasn't like the free love of the the late '60s, early '70s, but it was things were finally starting to kind of open up. Like the drag scene really became a thing, and and you know the club scene really became a thing, but- and people were doing. But different it, experimentations but it explains why she was so overbearing overbearing with may um why she was the way that she was you know before you're just thinking oh it's just this parent you know being a typical parent wanting their children to be perfect but it, but it's but it's more than that it stems from something else it stems stems from her trauma that she was projecting onto May, not realizing that May is completely different. May is different. And and she was able to control herself in a way that I, I can't speak for some of the other pandas. You know, we do get to see them um, and they do seem a bit more refined than, you know, the others, but, Ming's panda is just a whole different creature in and of itself. And we don't exactly know why that is. And I have a feeling it's because 
Mei and Ming are very similar. And Ming probably went through her rebellious period and, you know, where, where she went against her mother's wishes and was trying to become her own person. And ultimately it backfired on her, you know, with this. And, and it, I think that's what the giant panda symbolizes. It's the fact that she could not control herself. And so ultimately she becomes more uh, refined and more like her mother in an attempt to almost make up, almost like she feels like she owes it to her mother. Like, I did this to you, therefore now I owe you. I'm going to become this person for you, even though it's, it's not, not necessarily, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily what I want to do. Um, and so I think she was projecting that, like, with you know the fact that A, may had no clue about the panda nobody had ever mentioned the pandas aside from the fact that you know the temple they worship the panda they just thought it was a a symbol of their family which is you know um part like a of, totem yeah well, i was gonna say exactly you know part of my family is native american and that's you know a lot of cultures do that they they identify kind of like a not necessarily a family crest but they identify themselves with a specific animal or a specific thing that symbolizes Think Game of Thrones. Yes. A house sigil. Yes, that is that is perfect. Um But she didn't really think of it as any as anything more than than that. And then ultimately when she decides to keep the panda, she realizes, no, this is who I am. The panda is a part of me. Uh, the spirit of Sun Lee appears and embraces her and shows her how great the panda can be. Yeah. Something that no, none of the other women of the family have experienced because they all chose to, to, to get rid of their panda, which is fine. You know, freedom of choice is fabulous. Do what's best for you. But Malin decided that the best thing for her was to keep the panda because... It was no longer a curse. She was embraced as the panda. People loved the panda. Her friends loved the panda. It made her more accepted around school. Boys and for she... now. <laughs> for town. Whatever. Boys for, for town. For town. For town. Boys We're going to talk for about town. for town in a minute. Um, but it made her feel better in her own skin. And isn't that like all that we're after anyways? Yeah. I think so. And a four-town concert happened, and it was amazing. Okay, I cannot get these songs out of my head. So four-town, if you, you, you haven't seen this, it's a fictional band with songs written and created by Phineas O'Connell and Billie Phineas Eilish. Phineas and Ferb. Yeah, Phineas O'Connell of Phineas and Ferb. Um, no, Phineas, big brother to Billie Eilish, and obviously Billie Eilish. Uh, they they wrote the songs. They created this. Um, I thought that this was such the perfect touch for this film. I mean, not only you had like the little fun things that I loved about the early 2000s, the Tamagotchis and the butterfly hair clips, but like the 
mock-up tiger beat with four town on the front like i felt so seen <laughs> looking at that because i had those magazines i had the tiger beat and i am completely forgetting the other names like just like but and you know like the magazines that were Teen like beat would that be one Maybe because I'm beat? looking at like Tween Beat on the Four Town thing, so I'm <laughs> guessing Teen Beat was one. Uh, no, but there was definitely a, like I want to say it was Tiger Beat. Um, and then you had the the magazines that were all like just solely de- dedicated to one specific act. Like I can't tell you. I know this isn't a boy band, but I can't tell you how many. Sp- Spice Girl things I had. Oh my God. Um, so I thought the fact that they were obsessed with this boy band, it was called Four Town, even though there were five of them. And the songs just slapped so hard. I cannot get them out of my head. I have started making up songs about my cat to the tune of those songs. Yep, you do. <laughs> it's so good. So good. It just really brought me back to a place because I was that girl. I was those girls. And at heart, I still am those girls. And, you know, something that embraces being a teenager and not even like there's a difference between being a young teenager and being an older teenager. Being a young teenager, your body is changing. Everything's weird. You're weird, but you can't show that you're weird because other people can't think you're weird, even though you totally are weird. You know, uh, liking certain things, still playing with toys, kind of going through that transition. Some toys are cool. Some toys aren't. Um, just trying to fit in while at the same time trying to figure out who you are. It's a whole thing and it's so confusing and overwhelming. Middle school is hard. Middle school is so hard. Uh, And I thought they did a fantastic, just such a good job. Such a good job of, of portraying that in this film. And, you know, all of the all of the symbolism and allegories and what have you aside, it's a fantastic film, and I think any gender or genderless person would love this because you could see a little bit of yourself in at least one, if not several, of the characters. Yeah, that's fair. I also, mean, Abby is amazing. Abby Road. Abby is the best. No, but she really is. All right. Well, this has been a pretty good conversation about this. I think uh, it's about time to wrap this up. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we will play the uh, Boys for Now song. Four Town! The Boys for Town song. Four Town! And uh, we'll wrap things up. So we'll be right back. Greetings, weary adventurer. Do you have a taste for the exotic? Do regular snacks no longer provide the thrill ye seek? Would ye rather eat a cod piece than another boring candy bar? Then it's time for ye to sink your teeth into Mythical Meats exotic game sticks. Mythical Meats offers a wide variety of exotic flavors based on creatures of legend to give ye a snack experience of epic proportions. Like it hot? Try the Spicy Creatures Sample Pack, featuring dragon, chupacabra, and werewolf. 
more in the mood for something a bit milder? Try the Creatures of the Sky sample pack with Pegasus, Griffin, and Phoenix. Can't decide on which one you want? Why not try the Exotic Flavor sample pack featuring all ten flavors so you can find your favorite. Go to mythicalmeats.com to see the full selection of flavors and place your order. All orders over $49 get free two-day shipping. Mythical Meats Exotic Game Snack Sticks. So good, they're legendary. of a boy for crazy town too crazy for boy town <laughs> i love that song so much why do i love that song it's so good so good 
Uh, so we threw down a new battle last week, and we have results. So last week, we threw down Nocturnal Animals, the Batman versus the Batman. Are you hashtag Team Bruce or hashtag Team Edward? All powers and abilities applicable. Sandbox, the lighthouse from the lighthouse. Special guest, or should say special ghost referee, uh, the ghost of Cedric Diggory. And you could choose from Batman, Robert Pattinson's The Batman, Batman, or Edward Cullen from, you know, Twilight. And um, both Facebook and the Twitters are in agreement that The Batman would beat Edward Cullen. Yeah. And I disagree with all of you. That's all right. You and you know wrong. what? Coop and our buddy Trey Campbell from Geektopia, they agree with me too. Well, just because a lot of people say it doesn't mean it's not still wrong. Well, you know, Edward Cullen has been a vampire for like a bajillion years. And he's also a pedophile. Bruce so I'm glad Wayne Batman has him. been Batman for all of two seconds. And doesn't try to hook up and with teenagers. the vampires he just are adopts really powerful. them and forces them into a life of crime fighting so there uh so we have some fun things coming up don't we, we say that every week but yes we do but it's true it is so true um obviously we've got some more batman stuff that is going to be coming down the pipeline uh i've got a very interesting uh interview coming up in the next couple of weeks with uh a young lady who is a teenager much like uh, Mei Lin, but uh, she is a reporter, and the book that we're going to be discussing about, um, her book that she released about being a young journalist, uh, has just been reviewed by the New York Times. So this is going to be a very interesting uh, episode of Shark Bikes. I say that's impressive. Shark Bites, not Shark Bikes. That's a, maybe that's a different podcast. Maybe that's a movie <laughs> that Susan Snyder and I should read. Should write Shark Bikes. Um, be like sharks doing like nasty like backflips on a BMX trail. I don't know. Uh, but we'll figure something out. But yeah, uh, we've got that coming up. We've got Batman coming up. We've got a lot of a lot of characters that we need to cover, and a lot of interesting things coming up, such as you know, uh, I think this, this we're still within the spoiler moratorium of uh, Doctor Strange and uh, the universe of crazy wackiness, which is good because we still haven't seen it. That's true. Um, we're trying to rectify that. Doing our it best. It is difficult. But, uh, yeah, like I said, we've got a bunch of stuff coming up, and uh, we're very excited to share it all with you. But uh, until then, we, we will see you next Thursday. Thursday.